Welcome to the Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife Podcast Archive, where you have access to all the amazing insights Dr. Finlayson Fife has shared through hundreds of interviews. I'm Mackenzie, Dr. Finlayson Fife's assistant, and we are so glad that you're here. The podcast you'll be listening to today is entitled Spicing Up Your Sex Life with Sexuality Therapist Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. Originally produced and published by Courtney Anderson, host of the Glow Boss podcast. We're so excited to share this episode with you. But first, we wanted to tell you about our Valentine's Day sale that's currently happening on Dr. Finlayson Fife's website. Her acclaimed online relationship and sexuality courses for LDS couples and individuals are currently 20% off, plus additional discounts when you purchase more than one course. Sales on these courses do not happen often, and they don't last long, so hurry over to her website to purchase them today. You can find the link to her website and her courses in the show notes. Now, we hope you enjoy this episode. I am thrilled to be here once again with Jennifer Finlayson Fife. Thank you for joining me again, Dr. Fife. It's so good to have you here. Thanks for having me. So a little bit about this amazing human. She is based out of Chicago, a licensed psychotherapist, and currently runs a private practice. You do a lot more online these days. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. You have three kids and Mm -hmm. a handsome husband, and you've actually written a dissertation on Mormon women and sexuality. That's right. right. Mm-hmm. which I think is very interesting. Yeah. And one of your most popular online courses, which I am highly interested in is the art of desire mm-hmm. online, which you talk about how to, how to develop that art of desire. If you don't have it within mm-hmm. you, or you need help with that. Mm-hmm. So I'm just really excited to talk with you again today. Your last podcast that we did together was so successful and it's almost Valentine's Day, so great, it's a good time to be talking about good. this. <laughs> okay, so let's just dive right in with Valentine's Day coming up. It's kind of one of those holidays that people have a lot of expectations about. Yes. And as someone who's worked with so many couples over the years, what is your advice to couples on creating a good Valentine's Day, especially if it's like, this is number 17, number 25. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think it's overrated or do you think it really is an opportunity to kind of spice things up again? Both. Okay. Um, it's probably both. I mean, one thing I would say about things like Valentine's Day or or your birthday or your anniversary is it's a little bit of a setup to be disappointed, even if you try not to be. Because when you're kind of expecting that this is the day that, you know, we should celebrate our relationship or someone should celebrate me because it's my birthday. And then even if your partner tries and does things often because we're holding an expectation and it's Mm. not met, it actually has the inverse effect, right? So, you know, we do a sale every Valentine's Day on my online courses, but the day that our sales are highest are usually the day after Valentine's Day. Oh, so like, oh, <laughs> so, <on> this. <laughs> and so we actually extend the sale a day or two because 
because people have the holiday and then they sort of confront all the ways that they're unhappy in their marriage. They're more able to see like, I wanted this and I instead got this and this isn't what I want our romance or our relationship to be. So there can be value in these kind of days where you sort of can commemorate and celebrate, but they are a double-edged sword because of this idea of expectations. I was just talking to a couple that I'm working with last night, and they have been a couple that's been very unhappy over many years, and they have started to finally make some genuinely meaningful changes. I mean, they're still not where they want to be, but there's something truly good growing between them. Mm. And they said, you know, can we sort of talk about Valentine's Day in anticipation? Like, how should we relate to this? Because they say this has always been a day that we've tended to feel angry at each other or avoid each other. Now, because of COVID, we can't avoid each other (laughs) and we don't want it to go the wrong direction. So my advice to them was, you know, think of it as a day of love and don't think about it in terms of what you're going to get or what you think the other person should do for you, or where you think your marriage should be. Hmm. Think about where you are as a couple, the many good things that have been happening between you, the things that you respect and admire about what your partner has been doing to develop themselves, to be a better partner to you. And then you can decide if you want to do something on Valentine's Day as an expression of you. If you want to use the day to expand your ability to love, to in fact be a kinder person and you want to think of it as a day for you to push yourself, to be a better partner, to express more love to your spouse, to express more gratitude, then absolutely go for it. Mm. But don't go into the day as a day that you're wanting someone to prove to you something. Just let it be very authentic and come yes. to the place of this is where we are and yes. This is the gift that represents where we're at, where we're at at this time. As a yes, I think that's just where all the soul of it is. I mean, a lot of times we want these sort of outward expressions, and there's nothing wrong with them. Yeah. But I think the soul of the holiday is like acknowledgement of the strengths that you have as a couple and what you want to do to express gratitude or appreciation to your partner. And do you think it's okay to? tell them or drop hints. I mean, for example, um, I'm the person that's like, it's my birthday in three days. And I really <laughs> love cookies. <laughs> so if you want to get me a crumble, <laughs> uh, but I've done yeah. that. I've done that with my husband where um, like he's not as great with surprises or, you know, mm-hmm. um, and so I've told him, I'm like, he's like, well, what do you want? And I said, mm-hmm. honestly, I would love a letter or a genuine mm-hmm. note or, yes. you know, an ex- that, that means everything. And so one, uh, Valentine's, he got me a notebook and he wrote a letter and, and in the letter, he said, I will write you a note on every holiday oh. and put it in this notebook That's great. and put it under your pillow. And of course, all my relatives are like, oh my gosh, how amazing. I'm like, well, I kind of told him like, write me a letter, <laughs> you know, <laughs> still, it still, still works. It still Absolutely. works. Like, I get it under, under my, my pillow and then my birthday and I, I get That's the letter. Lovely. And I just think like, um, maybe you need to be more, if you're, if you're feeling down or if you're feeling like unfulfilled, maybe you need to drop those hints. Well, this is how I like to be loved. And it may be 
Because if I wrote him a note and put it on his pillow, I learned this. I actually wrote him a poem, not even kidding. And he left it at the restaurant. He opened it up. <laughs> he drove home and I'm it's like, where's the poem? And it's like at the restaurant. And so I realized like that's not his, lo- his love language, yeah. but that's mine. So maybe it could be helpful. Oh, absolutely. I do think, you know, part of a good marriage is sort of expressing what really matters to you. And, you know, the the language of love languages is one way of saying that. The only caveat I would give is is some compassion around those differences. You know, I think that you can say it really means a lot to me if you do A, B, and C. And, you know, I will always hope for that. Any yeah. birthday, any Valentine's Day, right? Yeah. Um, or if you know your spouse does want to do something for you, but they're not a very creative thinker, I think it's a whole entirely fine to say, look, this is what I would most like for Valentine's Day. Yeah. Um, because in some ways you're kind of offering them, this is the way that would speak to me. Mm-hmm. But also some humility in it. Like, I'm going to let them also be who they are. Yeah. You know, not sort of make them love me in exactly the way that I want it and let them kind of be true to themselves well, not so. It's one thing to try and micromanage and control your spouse. It's another thing to let them know you, and yeah. I think that's the difference. Yeah. And so even if you're like, look, I know in your family they didn't give gifts. In my family, they did. It Correct. means something to me. That's good information. Yes. Right? But there's also probably some room to saying I need to take it less personally because if it's not don't. the way he did it. For example. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So give and take that way. Yeah. So what do you think are um, some tips or ways to navigate Valentine's Day if you're going through a hard season in your life? I mean, we were talking about this. Mm-hmm. Sometimes Valentine's Day can hit hard to people who are going through a divorce or maybe single or, you know, are in a harder relationship going through hard times. And you'll see it on social media. Mm-hmm. What, what advice do you have for those people? maybe three ideas of three possibilities. One is ignore the holiday. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Don't put so much pressure on that. Yeah. It's yeah. just one dumb day. I mean, I, I mean, so it's, <laughs> it's so Sunday this year, just sleep. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't have to be so insignificant. Um, the other possibility is sort of to this earlier idea of I can use this as a day to express love to other people in lots of ways. There's a lot of people who need love. Yeah. <laughs> and so the elderly person who's been isolated, I'll I'll bring them something. And I want to use it as a day to honor the reality of love. So you can be more proactive and create something that's sustaining for you and for others yeah. rather than I feel bad about the state of my marriage or the lack of one or whatever it is um, that you're struggling with. And then the third possibility is to, even despite the challenges, I mean, depending on where you are with things, there's also often a lot of good to celebrate in our romantic lives, in our marriages, even if we're going through a hard time. And so there's, you know, this practice of attitude Hmm. is a very valuable one for living life well. I mean, I think I was saying to my daughter today that she was saying, why is it that when we look back, things always seem so happy, even if at the time you didn't think they were happy. It's just so easy to look backwards and kind of think, oh, the good old days. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's true. That's an actual phenomenon. We tend to look backwards and, and see the good. Yeah. And just, you know, and so, um, I was saying it's hard to imagine looking back to these COVID time and thinking, oh, that was the good old days. But I said, I bet you that we will, that we will look back and we'll say, remember how much we got to watch movies together and we got to all hang out here. You know, we will, we'll just do it. She was saying, why do people do that? My point is that, you know, it's very easy to not embrace the good that you have right in front of you. Our minds are wired to look for the negative. And that's important because that keeps you alive to look for what's not going well. But if you don't also train your brain to focus on the abundance you have in your marriage, in your life, you suck all the joy out of it. It's hard to only have joy retroactively. Yeah. So the third idea, that was a long way to get to this, is that you spend some time and, you know, write a note to your spouse or to any difficult relationship that you want to address and just express the gratitude for the good that's there, what you appreciate, what you would miss if they weren't there, that uh, the way that their presence does bless your life. Mm -hmm. And that can often recharge a difficult relationship much better than staying hyper-focused on what's not working well. It's so true. I had um, a friend tell me one time that she was going through a difficult time with her spouse. And she said, every time he did something negative, I would think of five positives. Yeah. Oh, good. So he would, good. You know, he would do something like leave his socks. And she was like, yes, but he always gets the groceries. And she would list five yep. things in her head. And it just helped her to always think of the good. Yeah. That's wow, great. I really love that. And I've tried to, you know, when something's really irritating, I'm like, oh, but these five other things are awesome. Right. And it just makes you appreciate, okay, wait a minute. You right. know, I really do have it good. Right. Because no one, no one wants to be taken for granted. I mean, we all have fallibilities. We can all be annoying. You know, anybody mm-hmm. that lives with any of us is going to know we have limitations that are hard. But what we want and hope for is that there's some generosity to acknowledge the good that we bring, not just focus or hyper-focus on our limitations. And so when we can offer that to a spouse, that's a real gift. Yes. I love those tips. Thank you for sharing. Okay. So let's talk about spicing things up. Mm -hmm. I think you're the queen of this actually. (laughs) Our last podcast. Uh, So we've talked about how you can spice up your sexual relationship in the sense that you can introduce a new novelty or a new outfit, but you can also spice it up in terms of being vulnerable mm-hmm. and, you know, opening up and, and being less closed in. Can you talk to us about kind of these two different ways to mm-hmm. create excitement and kind of how to mold them together? Mm-hmm. How to mold them together. Okay. Let me just think about that a little bit. Well, maybe start with the first one, like say, maybe let's start with, um, you feel like the marriage could use some spicing up or Mm -hmm. there's one of you who is like, let's implement some toys or some role players Mm -hmm. fun into this and is really about how to talk to the other one. I don't remember exactly how we talked about it in our first episode. So I may be repeating a little bit of this, but you know, the, the, the one thing that we really want in life and it's very much connected to eros energy or sexual energy, is this experience of self-expansion. Expansion of self is like that energy that makes you feel alive, it makes you feel joyful. And when you're in your body and you're dancing, you feel that. When you're climbing a mountain, you feel that. When you're creating something new, you feel it. 
you know, there's there's comfort in the coziness of like settling in, watching a movie. That gives us more of that kind of stasis and stability. And we need both things in our life. Mm-hmm. And we need both things in our sex lives. You don't want just novelty and expansion because, right. you know, you want somebody that knows you and that you feel safe with and that you feel comfortable with. But if you just do that, it gets super duper boring because it's keeping it at a meaning level and a kind of unchallenged level that just doesn't mix well with Eros energy, right? The energy of sexual desire. So you want this expansion and then you can do the expansion in a lot of different ways. But one of the the main ways is dealing with what's going on in your emotional relationship. And there's some couples that sort of couple in a way where they kind of mask all their differences as a way of creating stability. They're they're kind of too focused on stability. And so what happens when they do that is it just, it's hard to kind of know, what do you really want? What do you like? You know, what do you think about sexually? Do you like it when I touch you like this? And so there's, it's such a closed system that it's hard to have an adventure together. And that closedness, or when you're not addressing hard things, this, this, kind of disease of resentment starts to creep in and sometimes in a way you can't fully keep track of. And so when there's resentments going on in the marriage or the marriage has gotten too stale, you could have a hundred toys, but it's just hard to kind of get something that feels real and alive and joyful. So this, this emotional foundation is really important. And it's often the one people don't want to deal with because it pushes them to grow more. Just getting a new toy or something is, it's easier by comparison. And I'm not dissing those things, but you know, I, some, in my couple sexuality course, I talk about the difference between vertical novelty and horizontal novelty. Horizontal novelty is nice. It's like the new outfit, the new toy, the new location, and it can drive some vertical novelty. By vertical is like knowing your partner more deeply, knowing really how they think, showing who you are more. That's the vulnerability piece. Sometimes yeah. novelty can expose different parts. You go to a, you go and get an Airbnb in a treehouse or something and you know, you feel freer to kind of express something in yourself that you don't feel when your kids are in the next bedroom. And so that it can facilitate some of that vertical novelty. So I'm not in any way dissing it, but you really need that vertical novelty for a sustaining long-term relationship. And the more honestly you deal with your relationship and the more you deal directly with the things that are getting in the way of your desire or the passion you know, the more you have the canvas in which to try to do other fun things together as a couple who has a real sense of security, but also clarity that they are growing as a couple, expanding mm-hmm. even in the relationship itself. So, so like the foundation is key. Yes, Like you really exactly. have to be with someone that you feel safe with, that you trust. And then it's once you have that, It's let's explore. Yes, exactly. Because, you know, that's one of the things that I was talking recently with someone about, which is that, you know, sometimes I have clients that get really fixated on my wife won't do X, Y, Z, and they almost fetishize it and they become obsessed with it. And, and their wife might accommodate them sometimes, but it's more an accommodation. It's not that they're on an adventure together. 
And yeah. so you have to create a foundation in which your friends and yeah. which your wife wants to let you know what her sexual fantasies are and vice versa, that there's room for you to know each other yes. because then anywhere you go, you can go together and you're more likely to go together to things that you feel like will expand your friendship and bring joy to you. And so, but, but it's sort of anchored in this collaborative relationship. Yes. And so when you try to kind of just get the activity to supplant that, it never ends up working. So is that really what some of your online courses are all about? Like how to develop that foundation? Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. So I have a relationship course that's very much about the foundation. And then I do a couple sexuality course that's looking at kind of what your sexual dynamic is exposing about the kind of challenges you have as a couple, both in your relationship to yourselves when you're in the partnership and your relationship to each other. And Mm -hmm. then once you kind of have addressed that foundation, then the last part of the course is more about creating this kind of meaningful novelty how you can expand your sense of self through your sexual relationship Mm. um, and create, you know, like I do really feel like sex gets short shrift sometimes. Sometimes we think, oh, you, you know, it's sort of the icing on the cake, but you you have to, everything else has to be good um, and be for sex to be good or legitimate. And that's not how I see it. I see sex as very much this kind of marital ritual. That's a, a meaningful place for a couple to work out so many aspects of their lives and their love and their shared relationship. And sometimes it's more mundane and boring. I don't know if boring is quite the right word, but just sort of, you know, this thing that we like to do. And sometimes it's a real adventure and both things are good. And making room for both realities in your life is an important thing too. Like that, that sometimes it's just this thing that we like to do and it's our favorite way to do it but making room for these times when you're expanding and you're bringing more new, you're bringing new ideas or you're bringing, um, showing more of yourself in the partnership. I love that. So do you recommend the couples taking these together, these courses are most of them done with both because I could see how challenging it would be if one of them's like, yes, let's get our stability so we can, you know, yes. I mean, yes and no. So the ideally, yes, ideally, you know, you're both taking it and because it's a little bit hard to drive a car in a new place, if only two of the wheels are trying to go in a different direction. But on the other hand, couples operate so much in a dynamic that even if you break your half of a bad pattern, that pressures the growth to happen in the marriage because you're no longer doing your half of a bad deal. Hmm. So even for people where their cup, their spouse doesn't want to take the course, that's okay. I would encourage people to still do it because then they can at least address and grow themselves up more hmm. and see how they may be part of a, you know, a, a dynamic that's unsatisfying for both of them. Well, then maybe they can improve their communication and their thought process and that will ultimately. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay. So can you give us some tactical, like specific tried and true ideas that you have shared to help people spice up their sex lives? Mm -hmm. Well, one very simple one is um, 
tell your spouse tonight something you've always wanted to try, but have been too scared to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I mean, that's like pretty simple because most people sort of have an idea or two, um, yeah. <laughs> but they're afraid to speak it. They're afraid of the rejection. They're afraid. Yeah. What if their spouse is like, what? You know, like, I thought you were a good person, you know? <laughs> you write it down. They pass the notes. Yeah. Know why you're in bed watching that TV. <laughs> hey, idea. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that leads to another idea. You can yeah. each write down ideas. You can put them okay. in a the letter. I mean, not that you're not going to. You can write down ideas You can and put them into a bowl. Yeah, show and tell. Uh-huh. Is that what show and tell is? Okay, because I yes. heard you say well, that before. No. Yeah. So you can write them down and then you can pull something out and just see what it says. And and there's some anticipation of we don't know what's going to be there. We don't know, uh, you know, there's the, this anticipation and this this uncertainty is an aphrodisiac. So yeah. that quality can be exciting. Even if you don't even do what's on there, that quality is yeah. a good energy. To bring. It's, it's like- yeah, because when it's like, oh, it's Tuesday. You know, we're supposed to do it on Tuesday. I mean, that's just the word. Anything that's about should and routine is just going to work against that expansive energy. So do you not recommend routine? Well, I've that as a tip too. Like, oh, if it's gotten, you know, a little stale, then choose a day at 8 p.m. And I know a lot of people do this, mm-hmm. right? you know, when I talk. To I them. don't have like a fixed idea about that. It depends a lot on how you relate to it. Because if you were to say Friday night is our night and it's our couple's night and we make it a special night no matter what's going on, well, then that's a little different because it's not like, well, we have to because I promised you that I would have sex with you on Friday. That's different meaning. If it's like, no, this is our night and I'm going to spend energy on it. I'm going to think about what I'm going to wear Friday and which restaurant we're going to go to back when you could go to restaurants. But, you know, just (laughs) Um, so if you're treating it like, okay. I have to, because I said on Friday, that is not going to make your relationship better. If though you're relating to it in this way, which is it's Friday, it's so exciting. What am I going to wear? What, how do we want to spend the day? And you're bringing the energy to it that you brought when you were dating. Yeah. Then I think that's a fantastic idea because it's, am I relating to it as this is an important part of our life and I want to make room for it. And it's not just a, a resentful accommodation, but it's an investment well, then I think it's a great thing. So it depends on how it's being, the meaning that it has in their partnership. Sometimes people negotiate a routine as a way of just extracting sex from a low desire partner. Yeah. And I just don't think that that works. Mm-hmm. Yes, I could see that. But if you're like, it's Friday night. Yeah. Write down sure. your ideas and sure. you've got a babysitter or maybe you're. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful idea. And then, and then you can bring a lot of, you can decide how much you want to push yourselves to be creative on that night. Maybe you have one creative night, you know, and, you know, you can do things like um, you can put those ideas in a bowl, but you can also buy apps that give you different ideas. Um, one is like 101 nights of great sex and there's a his version and a her version. Mm-hmm. And again, it's that anticipation. You can do role plays. You know, I've had couples who will, 
go to a restaurant and one will try to pick the other one up, you know, and they'll pretend they're alter egos and different people. And yeah, I actually want some role play ideas. Give us some role play ideas. Like (laughs) honestly, a lot of people are like, oh yeah, role play. And like, what is this? Is this the butler and the maid? Is sure. That's a good one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a, so I'll just speak a little bit about what it is. So some people like to do the the full on, you know, you go to the restaurant, you pretend you're two different people, you take on alter egos mm. and, you know, you can have fun with it. I mean, um, yeah. it, in Modern Family, the first um, season, one of the Valentine's Day episode, Claire and Phil do their alter egos and they <laughs> pretend to be different people. And it's super funny. It's like yeah. completely worth your time to go watch this. Thing. But um, so that you can go that far. Or you can do role play in this more subtle way, which just you're kind of pretending something or you have ideas in your mind that you've kind of shared with each other and you're sort of taking on different characters. And this is a way of having both the security of a, of a love relationship with the novelty of kind of being with your spouse, but being with different aspects of yourself yes. and different aspects of him or her, you know, through this idea of role play. And so it's a way of playing with our desire for both novelty and safety. And it can be super fun and super silly. And it's a kind of grown-up play. And to get to your question of kind of ideas, you know, couples, well, people like to, um, often the the ideas that are arousing for people have to do with power differentials, even though sometimes that's hard to understand, like why in sex do we tend to want a dominant person in a more... Yeah, my mind goes 50 shades of gray. It's like... Yeah, and you don't have to go to 50 shades of gray. You don't have to go that far, <laughs> uh, to that far. But, you know, people still like to kind of either, you know, one is ta- one takes and the other is taken, hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or like I've said this recently, but my, my mom got a puppy and we have a golden retriever and, you know, they play together all the time. Well, this little puppy is the dominant one and my golden retriever is the submissive one. And I'm watching them tussle around on the floor all the time. And it's kind of interesting to watch and think about this is they're playing. They're pretending to be aggressive. They're pretending to fight, but they're completely gentle with each other. They're careful. You know, my big golden retriever is always sort of in the come get me. You know, he, he's, he's inviting this, but he wants to be submissive. Yeah. And the little puppy is always like jumping on him and being this pseudo aggressor. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a lot of sexuality dynamic as well. It's, yeah. it's grown up play and you're playing yeah. with those archetypal dynamics. And there's something about it that is fun and allows you to kind of try on a different part of yourself. And then another uh-huh. thing people like playing with is anything that has to do with roles of innocence and and sort of defying convention. So, you know, the maid and the butler, that's a power hierarchy. That's also the forbidden, you know, the school teacher and the student. So there's a lot of these different kinds of roles you can take on and pretend and think you're ridiculous, but still have a wonderful time with each other. Well, and like to your point of the puppy that I just want to bring up is the woman doesn't have to be the submissive Mm-mm. every time. Like Mm-mm. I've had those conversations. Absolutely. Like some conversations with my friend and I'm like, woman does not mean submissive. No, <laughs> like, it doesn't. Does not mean submissive. In fact, I've actually found like, well, first of all, I think women who tend to be more dominant in their partnerships, meaning in the outside of their partnership tend to be, this is not how to say it. This isn't statistically significant. Wait, I'm not saying it quite the right way. 
Women in general tend to like the more submissive role, statistically speaking, but women who are more dominant in their lives, especially like the submissive role. And in oh. my, yeah, because they want to try on a different part of themselves in their sexuality. Women who actually wonder if they are giving up too much in their lives often want the more dominant role sexually. That's interesting. So, so I have some women who feel like they give too much and they're kind of like managing their husband's ego and all, but if they can be like the role play of the queen and he's the servant, you know, then they like it. <laughs> that is so interesting. <laughs> because there's more overt control. They feel more that they, you know, any sense that they're really truly being taken over is not getting clouded by that more submissive role. But to your larger point, just being able to try on different parts of self and to be yeah. playful. I think that's, you know, I don't think you have to stereotype yourself or peg, you know, put yourself into any pigeonhole yourself into any particular. Agree. Yeah. Oh, well, great ideas. Thank you. I'm going to go watch that modern family. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it is still this COVID thing going on. And one of the things that I've heard that's happening is these staycations with couples. Mm. You know, you can't really go anywhere. Or there's fear there or, you know, you don't yeah. want to get people sick, get sick. Um, how do you make a staycation exciting? Because I just think of it as, I mean, to your point, it's really a lot easier to free your mind and get in a more adventurous state when yeah. you're, you're in, in a place. house. Yeah. You know, versus like, okay, I'm, I'm on my purple mattress again with yeah. my gray bedspread. And this is where we fold laundry and my kid comes in and yeah. sippy cup. How do you right. make vacation more exciting? You get rid of the kids. Okay. <laughs> it's babysitter for the kids. I I don't know if I have great answers, but I, I can try. I think it's very challenging because you're right. Like to sort of step into a new frame of mind, you often need a new frame. Right. So I, I think what you might want to think about is there's some way we can create a truly new frame, even if we're in the same house. Does that mean that the kids are um, in some other way occupied or we're doing something different as a family if the kids are around? Um is there some safe way for the kids to be cared for by someone else where we can just be with each other? Is there some way to change the frame? What yeah. we're doing during the day, the movies we're watching, are we writing things to each other? So mm -hmm. I would just be looking for, is there some way to make this meaningful and different and put it in a different frame so that we can experience each other in a new way? Yeah. And it probably is going to mean more vertical novelty as well. One of the things, activities I have people do in my courses is to write for, like they put their pen to paper and they write for eight minutes, I think, of oh. what their sexuality wants. And they can't take mm. their pencil off the paper oh. and they just write all the things that come out and let their sexuality speak. And their sexuality, they may be horrified by what their sexuality says. You can shred it right after. You don't have to keep it. Yeah. But just, but just letting your sexuality speak. And and that's a way of increasing the novelty really quickly. So, mm -hmm. so some couples that have done this have told me like afterwards, like to actually read it to their spouse was scary and exciting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, you would yeah. not believe what's here. Yeah. Okay. And it doesn't mean you have to do it, but you're sharing your mind. You're letting them look into you more. 
you're right. increasing that right. vertical novelty. And so it's um, unsettling, but it can be very exciting because it's like, wow, I didn't know that about you. And I didn't know you were capable of such thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And so it's a way of, in, in a way, increasing the intimacy between you and increasing the excitement at the same time. Yes. And it takes some courage. Yes, I like that. Well, and I think with the kids too, I mean, it can be a little bit exciting. Like it can be like, oh my gosh, the kids downstairs. We have yeah. to, it feels like you're doing something naughty. You can, you kind of that's have right. to get away with this before yes. you're knocking on your door. You know? Yes, you can create a meaning that makes it exciting. Yeah. Like you're getting away with something. So exactly when you were talking about fantasy, it's yeah. those meanings. You want to think about what are the meanings that make it exciting? You know, getting away with something. That's yeah. one that people tend to like. Uh-huh. So yeah, yeah, you can do anything you want to increase those, those ideas. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, great ideas. Thank you. Um, What do you think are some of the biggest roadblocks that couples face when it comes to spicing things up? Like I know you said Mm -hmm. you kind of have to have the the stability, the foundation, the trust, Mm -hmm. the vulnerability, Mm -hmm. and to, you know, be so confident there that you can take things to the next level and you're, you're not so scared and it becomes this adventure. I totally get that. Mm-hmm. Are there any other just big roadblocks that you see? I mean, I know one for me can just be annoyed, you know? Yeah. Like, um, well, right. I can think of maybe at least three. I mean, I think one big roadblock is if you are afraid that sexuality is stronger than you. Mm. So, so, so a lot of people are so afraid that sexuality is corrosive in its core. And for some people, that's how they have experienced sexuality as being a destructive thing in their lives. So, but a roadblock can be like, I don't want to uncover my sexuality. I'm trying to keep it buried. I'm trying to keep it in just a very rigid frame because I'm afraid if I don't, something else will happen to me that I'll be less good of a person that, you know, be Pandora's box and somehow we'll be kind of, you know, next thing you know, breaking up our marriage or something. So there is this anxiety about sexuality that can definitely be a roadblock and just wanting to keep everything safe. The the problem, of course, is that when you try too hard to keep everything so safe out of rigidity, it ultimately makes it brittle and it makes it ultimately unsafe. Yes. And so you need a kind of moderation of being open and curious, which doesn't mean you do everything that you write on that paper, for example, yeah. you, you still bring your good judgment to bear, but at least there's some relationship with this without so much fear. So fear is a big thing as you were speaking of like the resentments or if you are angry at your spouse and you don't want to share who you are, you don't trust them. Mm-hmm. They've betrayed your trust um, that if they know it, that then they think now you have to do it or whatever. If, if there's not a real, sense that this is a partnership where we can really negotiate these things and each have a meaningful vote in this process, well, then you also won't, wouldn't want to share because you might feel like it would get used against you in some way. Um, yeah, I think it's important to yeah. really communicate because resentment sex is like the worst because then you relate that feeling to sex and it can just make it you know, if you don't yep. clear the air, 
Yep. Then it's frustration in the worst way, not the good yep. way. Yeah, the, the good way. <laughs> that's right. That's, so, that's right. I think exactly. It, you have to say like this, you have to have that conversation. And I think if you're continuously building those resentments up and then withholding sex because you're not in the mood, that can just be the worst yes. scenario. And I've seen that happen. You know, I've, I'm at the age where it's weird. A lot of my friends are getting divorced and um, people that's so unexpected yeah. And you just, when you, when you start talking, it just seems to be these resentments. Just Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of, you know, we talk a lot about people being overreactive and, you know, being angry and how destructive that can be. But what is also destructive in a marriage is being underreactive to problems by not addressing them, letting them smolder and build and sort of break the partnership. And some people come to me when they've been burying their anger for years, things are falling apart And it's really hard to revive the marriage because there's just been such long-term quiet anger. Mm -hmm. And so, and often the lack of passion can be, not always, but can be an expression of that sort of deeply buried resentment. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had one more thought about a, a roadblock, which is I think that there's also this roadblock of, in some ways, not wanting to really love somebody and really create something that has a deep impact on your life. Hmm. Like when you really invest in creating a good intimate relationship, you, you in a, in a sense, make yourself vulnerable to letting somebody matter so much to you and be so importantly entwined with your life that it's scary. Mm -hmm. You could lose them. They could die that you, you know, so in some ways when you create something really beautiful you're more exposed in the yes. world. Yes. And I can't, I don't think there's a better way to live, honestly, because I think you pay a high cost for not doing that. Yeah. You never get to have the sustenance and the beauty and the richness mm. of a really deep friendship. Mm. Um, but that is also a deterrent for people. I'd, you know, I, I'd rather be in control than really let this person in, mm. really let them know me. And we often are seduced by that fantasy of control and, and, interfere with our lives being more rich. Do you think there's a lot of couples where one is wanting that, but one is resisting? Yeah. Like where one's like, you know, I love you and I'm all in. And then there's one that's just, you know, I'm not. That can definitely be the case where one loves and is willing to love more than the other. Yeah. There's also. difficult to handle. (laughs) <laughs> it is very hard to handle because it's, I mean, the hard thing about love and intimacy is two people really do have choices. Yeah. And so you can't make someone love you and you can't make them choose you and you can't make them take risks to make their life or your shared life better. And that's just an inherent vulnerability of people having agency and you only get to control yourself and right. it's hard, but it's true. And also why it's such a gift when you're partnered with somebody who does choose you and who does bring their best, you know? So I think that's hard. I think the one caveat I would give to that is sometimes people who are the higher desire person think they're the ones who love so well, and they think they're Mm -hmm. the one who gives so much, but they're confusing their seeking of approval, seeking of validation, seeking of sexual validation with love. 
And so they're more interested in the self-reinforcement of a good sexual relationship Mm -hmm. than they are in really loving the other person. Oh, that was very deep. That was very, very deep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people prize themselves on being so capable of love, but in fact are, are not so interested at all in their, just in, in, the, the in the reality of their lower desire spouse or why she or he may be lower desire. Oh my goodness. Well, that's going to be another podcast. <laughs> that's interesting. That is yeah. interesting. So to finish up the podcast, we always ask about glow ups with everything going on this year. What has been your biggest personal glow up of well, now 2021, but I guess of 2020. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, but I don't know what a glow up is. <laughs> you may want to have to re-ask the question, but what does that no, mean? We're leaving this right in. We're leaving this in. <laughs> so a glow up is like anything that you feel leveled you up or something new that you learned or, you know, your biggest lesson, mm-hmm. um, your biggest takeaway, I would say, of of 2020, where you feel like, like you said, you were looking back and it was such mm. a hard year. Maybe your biggest appreciation mm. or life lesson is in aesthetics. Yeah. Blow up. Okay. That's a good question. Gosh. Okay. Let me just think about that. There's so many things I've been thinking about lately, but um, I think I learned a lot about myself this year in the kind of parent I have been and learning to be a more open parent and more open to the wisdom that my children have and um, seeing more of my ability to, to kind of want control over really knowing what's Hmm. there. So, you know, this is true in marriage, of course, but I definitely seeing it in relationship to my kids who are in their adolescence and becoming adults and, and just seeing um, some of my, just recognizing my need to do that. I think the other thing I have felt is how beautiful and fragile life is. And yeah. I think, you know, I lost my dad about a year ago. No. COVID. Um, my mom is aging. I think seeing a lot more suffering. It's mm. just been a hard year for so many people. And I think I just... I know it doesn't sound like a glow up, but the reality is, and maybe it's me being in my fifties and feeling, you know, like I'm, I'm more aware of life from a slightly different position, but I just see more, I have more appreciation for, for both suffering and beauty. And that sounds maybe a little depressing, but I mean that there's so much that's good and beautiful as well as so much that's hard and dark. Yes. And I feel more attuned to both. Yeah. Well, there's a quote that said, um, how beautiful is suffering? And I've thought about that. And it's weird. There's actually a lot of beauty and pain. Yeah. So many lessons to be gained from. There is. You know, you hurt, so you develop appreciation. You suffer, so you have more gratitude, you know. Yeah, more compassion for others. Uh Uh-huh. Like when you hurt, there's this gift. Yeah. So. I, it's I true. Agree. It's cliche, but it's really true that so okay, much the places that we grow are often in the in the places that hurt. And mm-hmm. It's yep. you know, I, my look back on my life, that's that has been true. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us again today. I always love these conversations. Yeah. I really hope our listeners appreciate this. And will you remind them where they can find you? Sure. Sure. So you can find me on my website, which is just my last name. So it's finlayson-fife.com. And on there are the link to the courses that I teach. Also, I have a podcast archive where you can hear me speak on many topics. So on the website, you can see everything from sexuality to personal development, to jealousy, to betrayal. I mean, there's, it's all there. So, um, and then you can find me on social media, but we're also having a Valentine's day sale right now. So all the courses are 20% off. So it's a good time to get them. And you're also on, um, shout out your Oh yeah. So it's just Finlayson Fife, no hyphen, my Instagram handle. Um, and also on Facebook and we have a group on Facebook called ask an LDS marriage and sexuality therapist. So on that group, I will, you know, I present, um, once a month on a topic and people can participate for free and, you know, write in questions and follow-ups on those Facebook lives. So, so yeah. I love that. Yes, yeah. I love the podcast clips you post on your social media and you have really insightful quotes and messages. So go follow. So yeah. good. Thank you. So yeah, thank you for coming on again. Hopefully we can do it again. Yes, and sure. To our listeners, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. We really appreciate those reviews and we can't wait to tune in again next week. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Finlayson Fife and the work that she does, check out the links in the show notes below to find her website, online courses she offers, information on upcoming events, and her free Facebook group.